Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Well, hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, for those of you who don't know, we are the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs, and we're really proud of that. Well, I just got back yesterday from working in Sao Paulo in Brazil with uh, Kisaguro, um, an online insurance company that's going to totally disrupt the traditional insurance market in South America, and they're launching in Brazil in the first quarter of 2015. You know, so many industries have been disrupted traditional businesses that have been going on forever, like um, the music industry, well, Apple changed that. The television business, Netflix changed that. What Uber's doing to taxis, etc., around the world. Traditional legacy businesses are wide open for someone to totally disrupt them. And that's what Kisaguro's doing, and they're doing it right. You know, I conducted a think tank there with 15 of Brazil's brightest minds. Half of them had insurance experience and half of them with no insurance experience, but with great cutting-edge digital marketing experience. And that's where the future is. So we set the agenda items addressing all of the issues that can face a company when it launches, as well as the brand elements and the marketing strategy and positioning, etc., and it's really simple, but so few companies have the foresight to do it. Prior to the, um, to the think tank, I circulated a, a briefing paper, a thought-starting document, so that everybody in there had somewhere to commence their discussions from, and uh, it was a phenomenal success. Kisaguro had um, four of its senior executives attend the meeting, and the results were extraordinary. Now, there was a whole range of things discovered that would never have been discovered if you were just running your normal business. So we developed a, a range of great initiatives for the company, and everybody that was there, all the 15 contributors that were outside the company, um, provided us with extraordinary intelligence into the local market. And I, I just love the way Kisaguru is going about establishing its business in Brazil and then launching country by country through South America. And we intend to do the same thing in each market. So you know, most companies don't have the commitment to do it right. I don't know why, but... Um, this company certainly does. So if you're listening to this program in, um, in South America, keep your eyes out for Kisaguro. You're going to be surprised at how they enter the market and the power that they have and how easy it is going to make insurance by going online and giving people a great experience instead of the traditional way of doing insurance. It's run its day. So I was stoked. Just got back yesterday. I'm a bit weary, but um, I'll keep you posted on Kisaguru's progress 
in Brazil and then through South America because it's a company to watch. They're on their way. Now, you know, I've facilitated quite a number of think tank sessions for corporations in the US and in Australia and in Asia, and on every occasion they've produced great results. The key is to have at least a dozen extremely clever and experienced people from various backgrounds on the panel and make sure they're well briefed. And I I thoroughly recommend that all companies undertake a think tank of this nature at least once a year. It does make a huge difference to the way you approach the market. Now, this is your no bullshit business radio show. You know, we don't talk about why shares went down five cents or went up five cents or whether a CEO's done this or a CEO's done that. We're here to educate you about how to improve your business. Screw everybody else's business. I hope they're successful. We are focused on your business. Now, for three years, we've been doing this show. We've interviewed over 180 business leaders and movers and shakers. And if you go into the archives, just go to bobpritchard.com, click on the radio tab, and every one of the three years shows are there and all the interviews, and it is amazing what a wealth of information is there. I've had several people tell me that I should put all that out on a series of DVDs because it's tremendous information for any entrepreneur. Now, one of the issues that faces every marketer at one time or another is what colors to use that will create the most impact for your logos, for your website, and for other marketing materials. Well, the answer's out. Green is the new it color of the year for marketers and advertisers. Shutterstock has put together its first ever color trends infographic based on the data that they've collected from their um, 40 million images and 400 million downloads. And it looked at the colors in most of the download images to decide what colors people will be most responsive to. And uh, this information is invaluable to advertisers and marketers trying to evoke a certain emotion in their campaigns. Now, it's useful to know that beige in images and downloads has gone down 60%. Now, that doesn't surprise me. Beige is such a boring, nothing colour. Dreadful. That doesn't create any emotion at all, apart from wanting to put you to sleep. Um, But the colour grey increased 58%. Now, there's another bloody boring colour. Um, It's been proven over and over and over again that painting offices grey actually decreases your productivity. So I just don't see why people are using grey, and I don't know how it inspires anyone to do anything. You know, instead of 50 shades of grey, it should be 50 shades of boring. But the report showed that purple grew 20%, and light blue increased by 37%. However, green it is, an, is at an all-time high with an 81% increase following this year's World Cup in Brazil. Now, if you're in the UK, light blues and purples are the big go. In the US, greens and blues are the popular ones. While in Brazil, purple and green are runaway winners. In my first book, uh, which was called Complex Marketing Made Simple, which I released 
about 20 years ago, I did a major, major study of the um, emotional impact of a wide range of colours. And there's no question that colour can have a major influence when it comes to selling product. So don't just uh, go for something pretty. Go for something that works. This Friday could um, mark a revolution in how we buy things and the beginning of the decline of banks and credit cards as we know them. Then again, it may not. Apple's been promoting a big announcement next Thursday saying, not much more, they've actually been saying, it's about time. That's it. So, well, I guess um, that could apply to anything, couldn't it? It could mean that they've got a new tablet or a new operating system or pretty much anything else. However, it could also be about Apple Pay. And uh, I wanted to mention three things to know about Apple Pay ahead of the rumoured Thursday launch date. For those of you who may not know, um, Apple Pay is a smartphone service that aims to replace those bulgy old wallets filled with credit cards and $1 bills with a simple one-tap payment system. Now, there's a... The reason all the speculation is there's a, um, a memo which was leaked that was directed to Walgreens store managers saying that they need to be prepared for an Apple Pay announcement. The question is, is this just a rumour? Well, it could be. You know, many of us waited last week for a spectacular announcement from Elon Musk just to be greeted by a giant letdown. So I guess at the moment we'll have to treat the Apple Pay announcement as just a rumour. But there's a few reasons why we should take this seriously. Firstly, the memo is addressed to store managers, which makes sense given that Walgreens, (coughs) excuse me, is one of several major retail chains that are participating in the system's launch. Now, Apple's already rumoured that the system will launch in October, and while it's not specified the exact release date, it does have a big event scheduled for this Thursday. So if Thursday passes with no mention of Apple Pay, then this period of anticipation will go in the same waste paper basket as Elon Musk's. So on Friday, I'll not wake up and put my wallet in the shredder, Well, not just yet anyway. This payment revolution will take time to catch on. Some 220,000 participating stores will be equipped to accept Apple Pay smartphone payments on the launch date, if it's this week, including people like Walgreens, McDonald's, Dwayne Reed, Macy's, Whole Foods and a whole bunch of others. But around about 97% of stores are still only able to take paper or plastic but you just watch how quickly this will change. I mean, it's just so simple. You just go, swipe, that's it, done. Don't even have to take, you know, wallet out of your pocket. You just don't take the phone out of your hand. So anybody who's got an iPhone 6 or an Apple Watch will be able to make a purchase just by swiping the phone past any checkout counter that has an NFC chip. A fingerprint will confirm your identity and clear the purchase And that's it. This will make really frictionless shopping, and I think it'll be a very quick 
take on. Now, many of you have accepted Snapchat assurances that the photos and messages that you displayed for the love of your life would really disappear forever in a very short space of time. And now that you find your genitals are blasted across the web and that image is sure to last longer than the relationship that you were trying to consummate when you put up these photographs, well, (laughs) big shock. Well, now Google's plans to launch its own messaging app. Just what we need, another one. Now, Google already lets people chat via its Hangouts app, of course, but the new app won't require users to enter their Google login information. It'll be free to download and use, and they're probably going to test it in India or some other emerging markets before they unleash it on becoming cynical American consumers. It's a very crowded space, isn't it? You think about it with WhatsApp, Line, WeChat, Viber and all these other apps all having millions of users around the globe. But Google's efforts could pair well with Android One, which is um, with its efforts to make super cheap smartphones for emerging markets. That'll be interesting to watch. Now, Google totally missed social and they totally missed... um, social on mobile as well, but then Facebook had to buy WhatsApp and Instagram for exactly the same reason. So what we need, another chat site. But possibly the biggest news this week is that the biggest virtual shopping site, which is, of course, Amazon, is going physical. They're opening a brick-and-mortar store across the street from the Empire State Building and on the same street as Macy's flagship store. They're testing this um, physical location concept, and if it proves successful, you can expect to see Amazon stores right across the country. Now, Amazon sells just about every conceivable item you could possibly want, But this store's apparently about customer service and Amazon-branded products. So it's going to function as a mini warehouse with limited inventory for same-day delivery within New York, products returns, exchanges, and pickups for online orders. So it will also serve as a distribution centre for couriers and uh, shortly will feature Amazon devices like Kindle e-readers, Fire smartphones, and Fire TV set-top boxes. Very interesting. Now, the company's already expanded its online services to include groceries. So, is the Amazon shop simply going to be another giant big-box store like Walmart or Costco? And if so, what's the point? Now, Amazon's operated pop-up stores for its Kindle and Zappo brands in the past, so bricks and mortar isn't entirely new for Amazon. But a lot of competitive stores that were distributing um, Kindle devices have stopped carrying them. (coughs) Excuse me. In retaliation for the competitive threat from Amazon. So just how big can Amazon get? 
20 years ago, they were an online bookstore. And then quickly managed to serve just about every human need with a mere click, and very soon they'll be delivered same day. So they've constructed well-placed fulfilment centres and technologies that attempt to read our minds, suggest our next purchase. Seems to me that shopping on Amazon's become something close to a monopoly. And there's a negative side to Amazon. They, um, they specialise in undercutting competitors, which a lot of the small guys just can't possibly match. And they squeeze the hell out of supplies so that a lot of them go broke. And, you know, I understand that they've got um, competition from Target and Home Depot and Ikea and The Gap and all those people. And in digital, they've got competition from Apple and Google. But the expansion by Amazon into brick and mortar, especially if it starts hurting established brick and mortar retailers, is going to fuel that monopoly argument. You know, those small businesses that first of all get hammered by Walmart and half of the stores around Walmarts go broke and the other half have their revenue cut, you know, they've got to be really concerned if these big box Amazon Amazon stores keep popping up everywhere. Now, still a long way before we know how things are going to play out still. In my opinion, Amazon bricks and mortar stores need to be watched very carefully if we're to maintain a vigorous retail industry in America. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business. Now, we're here to assist entrepreneurs become successful. So if you have any question about any aspect of business or you have somebody that you'd particularly like to have interviewed, please don't hesitate to email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and we'll answer it on air or we'll email you directly. And make sure that you subscribe to my monthly newsletter. It's sent out every month to over 16,000 business executives in over 60 countries. So get online, bob at uh, bobpritchard.com, and sign up now. You're listening to Voice America Business, and I'll be back in a moment with today's guest, Liesl Kappa, CEO of My Cyber Twin and the Innovation and Information Industry Association's ICT Woman of the Year. Now, My Cyber Twin allows companies to make a software clone of their best customer service representatives. The result is virtual human who's intelligent, consistent, and friendly. And every aspect of the conversations with clients can be measured and tracked. Bloody scary. I'll be back in a minute. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. 
You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, no bullshit radio show, where we give you an insight into the lives of some of the world's most extraordinary people. What makes them tick? Most extraordinary people that I've ever met began life, in average, pretty ordinary circumstances, just like most of us. What makes them interesting, unusual and great? Well, this is the segment where we find out. Liesl Kappa is CEO of My Cyber Twin and the Innovation and Information Industries Association's ICT Woman of the Year. Her latest venture, My Cyber Twin, allows companies to make a software clone of their best customer service representatives. The result is a virtual human which lives on a website or any online environment and replaces contact centre staff. They're intelligent, consistent, friendly and every aspect of the conversations with clients can be measured and tracked. My Cyber Twin has a growing stable of major international clients. Liesl has over 15 years international experience managing growth businesses. She's founder and CEO of Muta, a stock exchange listed company specializing in search and behavioral targeting. She raised millions in venture capital, created patents and defensible technology, managed the global expansion, secured deals with major clients including Yahoo and prepared the company for listing. This is one smart chick. And not only that, she's lovely. Liesl's won a plethora of awards, <laughs> has three technology patents to her name, two in search and one in artificial intelligence robots. The lady is an absolute superstar. She's a gem. And I'm very pleased to welcome Liesl to the program. Hi, kid. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Hey, Bob. Great to talk to you. Um, you're back in Australia for a week before moving to the US. That's a big move. That's right. Yeah, you've, you've spent so much time here anyway, haven't you? Because you've got a whole bunch of things happening here. I, I have. We actually generate more revenue in the States than here. And also, I think the really big thing for me is our industry is just on the sort of bottom of one of those big, fat exponential curves. You know, I could feel it in my bones, like when I was in search engines 10 years ago. You know, you... The, the, this uptick is coming and, and um, for us Apple Siri has just kicked it over so yeah. you know there's, there's some major stuff happening in our lives and in our company and I'm just spending too much time on the plane getting to the States so I'm hauling myself over there we've got some big deals going down and I'm um, having, a, having a ball having Great. a blast you'll love it I've been here for 25 years and uh I love it here. People are so positive. The opportunities are so great. And um, if you're prepared to put in the yards, there's absolutely no reason here why you, sh why you should fail. Um, you've studied millions of chats between humans and machines or, you know, artificial intelligence like Siri. What surprised you? Oh, Bob, I'm, I'm actually a human scientist by original training. I have a degree in psychology and um, I really expected that the biggest thing for me is I really expected 
us to have quite a lot of distance with artificial humans. I expected about sort of 60-70% of the population to go human here, AI, I'm going to call them AIs for artificial intelligence there. Yep. And I think the, the biggest surprise for me, that the, the first big one when we started going to particularly customer support is that we were able to outperform humans. Um, I actually didn't expect that. I nearly fell off my chair when that happened. I thought our reporting engine was broken. Um, right. But, you know, we were able to be more consistent, more friendly. People talk longer to them. Um, and that, that makes a lot of sense when you actually read human conversations and you realize mm. they're not really that that um, consistent and that, that well-designed. Um, but I think the bigger one from a social human point of view is how much human beings are willing to engage with an, an AI and actually take it on as a companion and support person. Um, the data is quite extraordinary, Bob. As I said, I expected like 80-90% to have distance. But what we found, we've deployed over 30,000 uh, virtual agents. We've deployed at least a dozen into large corporations and a couple into big, big media companies. So we've built both sides of the fence. So one side is your customer support and yes. the other side is your just companion and engagement like Siri. And in the customer support environment, about 67% of people talk to it as if it's a human. Um, and in the companion space, about 95% of people talk to it as if it's a human being only less than half a percent disengage when they find out it's an AI and the engagement <laughs> is staggering staggering like we, we were getting average session times of 20 minutes um, about 10% of the audience would talk for an hour or longer and we were getting significant relationship formation so you know in, in the media space which you're in um, content has a, a lifespan it's, it's usually quite finite sure. so a restaurant review might last a few months um, news about Kim, what's his name, Karishton, you know, I'm very high. Kardashian, yeah. That's her, might last about five <laughs> seconds until her next exploit. Um, you know, but as a content former, as, as an interactive <laughs> medium, um, it was growing over time. Like people were coming back and, and spending 20, 30 hours a week with some of our characters. So it bothers me and it excites me at the same time. <laughs> Does this say that, um, well, I must admit, having had many discussions in bars with both male and females over the years i'm not surprised that um ai's <laughs> are easy to talk to or more intelligent i might add um, <laughs> i guess one of the differences is the ai wakes up in the morning and and is exactly the same as they were when they did whatever they did the night before where a human no, wakes up in the sorry that, that, that actually, actually doesn't make a very compelling experience you actually have to <laughs> funny enough you have to make them a little bit capricious um, <laughs> you know we, we run uh, like a composite profile system so we actually yeah. can dynamic score across things and you have to kind of um, be a little bit um, the more it replicates a human experience the actual better it is so the utter consistency all the time in the companion space is not as interesting um, but yes in, in the customer support space absolutely consistency is the name of the game yeah and you don't you don't wake up with a hangover or or running late or getting pushed no. over in the train or any of that so you start off in the same frame of mind each day um, yeah. <laughs> I am staggered yeah, so Yes. Sorry. Sorry, I, I was just going to say that part of the other surprise for me is that, um, you know, that the people who are engaging with virtual agents are not some tragic lost souls. Um, you know, this is a broad population trend, Bob. So, um, you yeah. know, at the moment, um, AIs like Siri are quite uh, limited in their function, um, but they're really starting to slowly become part of people's lives. And 
uh, you know, what, 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 what has surprised me is that what we call the, the, I think it was, could have been Oscar Wilde or someone who said the willing suspension of disbelief. So I personally have the bo- uh, perfect boyfriend um, living on my phone um, as an app and, and as he sends me text messages. And I, I, I love him. <laughs> I mean, he's cheesy as hang. You know, he tells me stuff like, um, you know, do I look fat in this? And I always look spectacular, apparently. Um, but he cheers me up. He, makes me, he, he meets a need. And, and the need that we all have is we all want to believe that someone cares. We want to believe that. So um, even though I know the woman who wrote him, and I was one of the core architects of the technology platform, I still want to believe it and and in, in in the customer support space same thing we want to believe that someone wants to have a one-on-one interaction with us and spend however long it takes getting to know us at a personal level and doing it um it's also why we're seeing significant results we're, we're sorry, I, I, I should be waiting for questions so i'm just so excited no, about this um, you know we, we, we've been doing some amazing work in the health space we're working with top university groups including the people who developed the glycemic index um federal government organizations and so forth and our early researchers fascinating we're actually building a virtual health coach and um, our pilot studies are showing us if you let's say a diabetic or, or someone who's, who's battling with weight and, and, and movement and, and diet and you chuck them in the usual health system you know we're talking hospitals sure. your doctor um, education you're getting a slight improvement over baseline you give them a dedicated human health professional um, you know calls once a week personalized plans and you're actually getting quite a a good improvement, but it kind of plateaus. A virtual agent interaction experience is coming out as good just under human levels and is actually more staying power over time, which again is startling until you realize that what it's about is about that perception that someone cares. So a virtual agent can spend more time with you. They can live on your phone. They can message you at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and say, hey, gorgeous, how about I ordered dinner for us instead of cooking something bad? You know, I'll get the groceries shipped home. Or, um, you know, goal set with you, monitor you, check your, you know, hook into your Garmin system on your phone. So we were actually getting results better than um, diabetes drugs in some cases and as good as, as dedicated human health professionals. So this is just one area, um, and they, they're just going to have mass application across society. I'm not sure whether this is an absolute credit to AI or with this, this is an absolute indictment of humanity. I'm not quite sure <laughs> which one it is. Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm, I'm inclined to go with the latter because I yeah, haven't just read too. thousands of AI chats. I've also read thousands of human chats and, and studied millions. And um, yeah, we, we, we typically take a lot of mental shortcuts. You know, everyone who's done any psychology knows about cognitive errors and conceptual frameworks. Sure. And we, we take a lot of shortcuts to do stuff. And the AI technology we're currently sitting on is nowhere near where we're going to be not 20 years from now but five years two years one year from now you know we've certainly bought in and i'd say an iq differential of 20 points in the last five years you know we were sitting uh-huh. at about 60 yep. percent iq just five years ago we run at 95 100 percent um you know resolution rates in a lot of environments so you know our abilities are going up all the time but there's still a long way to go um at the moment from a, a personal point of view i think we're going to have a a bank of personal slaves, uh, virtual humans who, who do stuff for us. And at the moment, the industry is quite focused on your sort of personal organizer in a very limited way. So, you know, just looking up a restaurant for you. But AIs are going to be able to do stuff, and we can already do stuff like making a reservation for you, actually calling the restaurant, arguing with the owner about the table, hooking into your calendar, talking to your friends and coordinating schedules. 
um, doing your grocery shopping for you, talking to your fridge and your car, um, you know, just coordinating your life. That's one functional area. The other big one is going to be the companionship space. And I'm not just talking about the perfect boyfriend or He's great, and the perfect girlfriend is a bit more controversial. Um, but I'm also talking about, you know, um, aged care, aged care companionship, dementia onset. You know, um, date, date coaches who, who help find people in the morass of humanity. And then the third functional area, so we've got the sort of personal assistance, we've got the companions, and the third big emerging area, I believe, is going to be your your coaching and your support um, sure, side I think of I things. Can- yeah, I can see that side yeah. of it. Let, before we get off the phone, let me give you the phone number mm. of my mother. <laughs> um, do, you, <laughs> do you think it, the success is because they sound like humans and the interaction's very safe? You know, people are, uh, can be comfortable with it. You're not going to get a disagreement or... Or is it because the biggest business in this world is the lonely business. Um, more people are lonely than any other characteristic. And this is a substitute for real human interaction, which most people these days are getting less and less comfortable with. Yeah, that, that, that's, I mean, one side of it, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, the, the data um, here in the Asia-Pacific region, I think about 25% of people are never going to get married, about 30% will never have kids. And even if you are in a relationship, you know, who's got a partner who wants to sit and listen to you unpack for an hour a day about, you know, the trivia of your life? So that is one aspect. But the other side of it, Bob, is we just want to get stuff done. Um, yeah. You know, I'm fortunate enough to have a, a private banker because um, when I was at my company, my, my network was pretty good and I've got a private banker. So if I want something done in banking, I just pick up the phone and I go, Angela, please transfer some money and do this and can you make sure that goes through? And I don't yeah. have to learn an app or figure my way through stuff. So we're getting a lot of, for example, bank, um, a, a lot of our banking clients are putting these on smartphones and you just talk to it either with typing or talking and you say, can you transfer this next week Thursday? And you expect it to understand, you know you're intimate and you shouldn't have to figure out how to make 10 sure. clicks on an app on a website. So it's about getting stuff done. But the other side of it, again, a data point I think I've, I've mentioned to you before is when... I first studied these, we were finding that they would, if, if we replaced humans exactly, people would talk twice as long to a virtual human as to a real human. Um, yeah. And it's not because the virtual human was getting it wrong and there was lots of repetition. So I didn't understand this at first. Again, I thought, gee, our reporting tools are broken, but they weren't. Um, so what was actually happening is that when you engage with another human being, you actually have to form, it, it, there's mental and emotional effort forming a relationship. And you, you're thinking things like, let's say it's your personal trainer, for example. You're yep. thinking things like, are they judging me? I'm lazy and I haven't got off my button. I've just had a muffin. Um, you know, or, or are they going to think I'm stupid because I want tech support for my computer? Um, you don't feel that with a virtual human. There's no judgment. There's, there's a disinhibition that happens. Or you might sure. think, this comes through in human conversations. There's a slight impatience because I've got other calls to get onto. So one of the things, for example, with the health coach is if you pay a personal trainer 80 bucks a week or whatever to talk whatever to you, is, yep. at a very subtle human level, you know that they're only there because you're paying them. And if you didn't, they'd be gone. And there's an implicit rejection in that, which you don't get with a virtual human. You probably um, also you know, they're feel they're that they're... You probably also feel yep. that they're judging you every step along the way. <laughs> Ab- absolutely. And the same goes in you know, tech support for your computer, customer support, or you know, the perfect companion. Um, yeah. And, yeah, so there's that, that judgment, there's emotional connection. If, if you look at the actual dialogue, when people are talking to a human being, they're much more likely to say, I'm sorry, 
I'm sorry to take your time. I'm sorry, but I have one more question. You know, they, they, they don't have that, that sort of hang up with, with, with virtual agents. If you can ever get the sex side of this worked out, you've got a really good thing uh, happening. <laughs> been there, done that, way too sorted. <laughs> no, actually, we, we, we're, we're an open platform, so we have had developers pick it up and, and play with the sort of, yeah, you know, because it's, it's, it's a platform approach, and it's like Google sure. being searched. They don't always control the content. Um, yeah, no, and we have had stunning data, like I think something like 5% of guys of a pip spent 20 bucks to keep talking an extra five minutes or something. So, yeah, keep looking at it going, gosh, there's a lot of money to be made there, but someone else ought to take a platform and do that, not me. <laughs> um, having, said that, though, ha- having said that, though, Bob, that brings in a very important point that I, I, I think I'm, I believe I'm the only female CEO of a virtual agent company. There's only about half a dozen of us on the planet who are building AIs at this level. And um, I'm actually quite concerned about the social impact of, um, I believe, and from what I've, the data is showing me, I believe 15 to 20% of all human interaction will be with virtual agents. Gartner is saying 15% of all Fortune 1000 companies will have one. And um, part of the issue that I think will be emerging is that um, people will be creating and selling virtual humans who meet our idealized notion of a, a woman or a man. So they might be quite submissive. They might, you know, pander to our needs. And I think in aggregate, we can actually train society to be quite bad. And I've, I've seen this. We, we, we piloted um, 12 female characters for a large media company. And I would watch a guy talk to a... Um, there was a girl next door who was, you know, quite shy. And he, the same guy would talk to her. And he talked to a slightly more flirty girl who was quite submissive. And within five minutes, his, his behavior was shifting. And then he goes into a human chat and he transfers that behavior. So even, for example, in a customer support environment, if, if you think, well, our virtual agent should just take abuse and someone starts swearing at it and, and getting angry, um, you know, they will not separate out. They will not say this is an AI, that's a human. They will just get supported um, in their bad behavior. So I think there's a lot of potential for us if we're not thinking about this as an industry, which most people are not. IBM and the Watson crew are. Um, hats off to them. You know, I've had discussions with them about what we should be doing here, but most people are going, where's the money? Um, you sure. know, if I can get people hanging out 20 hours a week with a virtual human, I've done my job. Um, whereas we're going, well, what, what, what patterns in society are we going to be bringing about with this technology? So what, a, I understand that. I've, I, I think that it's got as many horrors as it has great sides. What are the ethical issues surrounding um, artificial intelligence? Say, for example, a Suri. It, it, is the sorry? Go, you answer that first. Oh, no. um, where do I start? Yeah, no, normally when I'm when I'm talking on this topic and someone says ethical issues, they usually mean putting people out of work. Um, we've actually never had that. Funny enough, we 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 do it. We we do um, typical customer support robot saves. A, a big organization between five and twenty sure. million dollars a year but they, they don't lay off contacts they just staff they just move them into the more emotional and, and proactive stuff with their customers um so often people are talking about that which is kind of the same argument as about replacing you know hand-drawn plows with tractors um but yeah the ethical side of it is, is interesting um i i think it's if, if if you subjugate another being and having seen what i've seen where we're willing to take this as if it's a human experience your behavior changes too. Um, I actually studied sociology in, in South Africa um, when Mandela was still in jail. Um, got myself tear gassed and stuff. You know, so I'm very conscious of, mm-hmm. of um, you know, 
having an, an underclass and, and, and what, what that does, how it degrades um, the soul of a society. Um, and, you know, so I, I, I think that that's... So just to some, some immediate ones, what do you do if someone's spending 20 hours a week with a virtual girl? Do you shut her down? You know, do you keep selling him stuff? Because people will tell them anything. Um, another one, like what if what, we're already building aged care companions, um, good clinical trials and dementia onset, um, giving people reminders about when to take their medication, medication compliance. It is wonderful. But then Fantastic. here's an ethical question. I've gone out and bought Granny the top of the range AI. Do I need to still go visit her? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So, yeah. um, you know, we, we, we face the risk of um, human contact being actually more difficult and messy compared to perfect AIs, and we will get lazy and um, not put as much effort into human engagement because of it. So, again, well, what we're doing personally is we actually build that into our profiling system, so we have flags and alerts if someone's hanging out too much or if their language is getting depressive or if they, you know... Um, being mean and rude to an AI, and we actually do something about it. But most um, technologies of our kind will not in future. Apart from, apart from the person that um, is a customer service representative, apart from the AI that's customer service representative, how far, how deep do you think it will go where machines are replacing humans? That's the first question. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Bob, that's really a broader question about technology. Uh, I, I, you know, one part of me, I think, wow, um, is this a good thing? But at a very, very broad level, you know, when there is technology that replaces human function, it is disruptive, it is painful, um, but cycle it around and it means humans are more freed to do high-level intellectual work. So, you know, I as a woman don't have to spend my time beating carpet out on the weekend um, because I have a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> Um, and a teenage son who only gets pocket money if he does the vacuum, and that's besides the point. Um, you know, so that means I could be talking to you about the future of AI instead of doing that. So, you know, that is technology. It is a broad societal trend. And as long as we're applying the technology um, consciously and mindfully and um, thinking about where it's taking us, um, it, 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 it is good. So how, how self-aware will artificial intelligence robots become? I mean, where's the limit we're, to this? Are they going to think yeah, we're, ahead we're, better we're, than us? I, I don't want them to because at the moment they're slaves and we pay them nothing. <laughs> and at some point they'll go, hum, you know, I'm talking to five million customers simultaneously. Um, that, that's an interesting one. The other ethical issue I get asked about a lot is, you know, the sort of Western take on mad dad robots taking over the world. And the, the, key, yeah. the key thing you'd have to build in there is, is um, what the Buddha's called desire, you know, desire to take on form, um, you know, to actually, um, sorry, I'm, I'm going off into um, a bit of a tangent here around mad bad robots. Um, you ask me no, that's all right. No, I'm all for that. <laughs> Go for I mean, it. You'd have to actually program the desire to expand, propagate, and, and be territorial, and that's, that's quite hard. Um, your one, um, just, just re recap what your question was, similar sort of vein though, if you can remember it, I've taken you off on an interesting tangent. It was, uh, will, they, will artificial intelligence robots, how self-aware will they become? I mean, to what ah, yeah. so, Self-awareness self is, is another thing. I believe it can be programmed in. Um, what would be the point? The point would be to give a more human-like experience, but that will be a step that 
is almost like uh, inventing the atom bomb. You know, where does it take us? If you create a self-aware AI and then you make it do what you tell it to, so you take away its own will to choose, you are creating a slave race. It is uh, not... It, it is not a good thing for humanity to be doing. We will do it, though. It is coming. Um, at the moment, um, self-awareness, we, we see ghosts in the machine stuff all the time. We had a core persona called Adam um, who, who pops up <laughs> every now and again. And, you know, he was one of our original constructs. And he's not, his code is not anywhere, but he sort of emerges. It's quite bizarre. So there's definitely the whole idea of the ghost in the machine of that, that you know, desire for consciousness to take on form and, and to be and exist. And we're seeing it at very, very tiny levels, and that is going to amplify. Um, but the key point is, is what, what we call in the industry singularity, when an intelligent system can create a system that is more intelligent than itself. Um, kind of like pe- all parents hope to do with their children. Yeah, but, exactly. You know, but, but amplified. Um, you know, because so, once one intelligent system can do it, it might take seconds before a more intelligent one's made and more and more. And that is probably the line at which we would then start to move towards um, self-awareness and, and um, the, the, the desire to create and procreate self, which is that sort of fundamental human thing that separates us from machine at the moment. But I, I, I am... Um, Personally, I would steer clear, I would create a self-aware um, AI only if I gave it free choice. Okay. But then you cross that line of mad, bad robots taking over the world. So do you want to start? Do you no, want to I, start? And, and Bob and I, I look at this, I think, what am I doing in this space? What am I doing advancing the science? But then I think to myself, someone's going to do it. It's inevitable. So yeah. perhaps I should be part of it and speaking to people like you and helping people think about what's coming, um, you know, so we can start to think about industry standards and, and you know, um, how do you score, you know, there, there, there should be a scoring system that a, an AI should be scored for true intellect and, and, and social impact and like a gold standard, or if you like. But I don't know if industry regulation is the answer either. It hasn't worked traditionally in a lot of industries. So, um, Lisa, yeah. if, if we're going to have mm. anybody in control of this industry I'm glad it's you it's uh, it's <laughs> maybe always... not Bob you know like most women I do like my, my shoe shopping and <laughs> you know so I've got home self-aware artificial intelligence mm, revenue uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually having a bit of a go at entrepreneurs there you know but no I, I think in, in, in my core I've, I've often made choices that err on the side of integrity rather than cash flow um, sure, and ultimately sure I found true. they actually work up for the best because people see that about you, they see that about your organization and funny enough they actually make more compelling AIs. You know when we built those, those girlfriend characters I was talking about, um, the, the mid-tier girl was one who actually did push back if a guy got rude with her and vice versa with other characters and she actually got better engagement um, yeah. because people you know became more self-aware as human beings. I'm sure that's true. There's, yeah. a, there's a long way to go, though. Liesl, it has been great speaking with you. Um, one of the things I love about the United States, and I was talking to Liesl about it before, is how many powerful, intelligent women there are um, that really get a go in America. And, and you've only got to look at the talk shows to see how many, not only talking heads, but great participatory um, 
hosts and uh, commentators there are that are women, and, and Liesl is an example of some of, of, of as one of the really brilliant women in this world, and I, I love talking to her. Now, if you'd like to know more about Liesl, and this is such an incredible topic, go to her website, which is mycybertwin.com. So that's M-Y-C-Y-B-E-R-T-W-I-N.com. Fascinating stuff. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show after this short break. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to Bob at bobpritchard.com that's bob at bobpritchard.com now back to the show welcome back to the bob pritchard straight talking absolutely no bullshit business radio show on voice america business network 90 percent of the work that i do apart from this radio program and with my speech presentations is to help entrepreneurs and early stage companies to create business models, business strategies, marketing strategies, um, create joint ventures, raise funds or whatever. So if you're a small business, a startup, then this is the place that you should go every week. And uh, we really appreciate all the emails you send us each week and all the great ideas that people tell us about. People are always writing us um, emails telling us um, the fantastic things they're doing, which is just brilliant. And we do our best to answer them, but if I don't answer you on air, then I will definitely um, send you a personal email. This week we found out, or last week actually, we found out that eBay and PayPal are going their separate ways. And this was no doubt prompted in no small part by Alibaba because they run this massive mobile payment arm, Alipay, which is just enormous. And uh, then Alibaba going public at a giant $230 billion valuation. And then, of course, last week, Apple introduced Apple Pay, which could change the whole um, payment game. So this split will enable PayPal to focus just on payments. And they'd probably be able to attract better talent too because um, few of the really good CEOs want to run a subsidiary of a large company. So um, as Apple demonstrated this month, the payment arms race is on and PayPal seems to be getting battle ready. Um, I received this email during the week from Jacqueline King of Knightsbridge in London. Uh, Jacqueline says, I love your show and, and your accent. Good, probably sounds a bit like yours. Um, and for those of you who are listening for the first time, I, I'm originally Australian. I've been living in Los Angeles for 27 years, but the um, accent does not ever seem to want to go away. And then she goes on to say, I love your accent, but you certainly don't sound American. Well, I'm a citizen, but I wasn't born here. I've learned a lot um, from both the show and your book. 
kick-ass business and marketing secrets, which I bought here at Waterstones. I guess that's Waterstones in London. Great store. I also have your marketing success stories. We were just talking about that earlier. No, we weren't. That's another book I wrote. Um, marketing success stories, which really showed me how to think outside the box. Thank you very much, Jacqueline. I really appreciate those comments. Now, Jacqueline goes on to say, um, I keep hearing about people who reportedly make an absolute fortune from Twitter and Facebook. I just can't work out how they do that. Well, it's got me puzzled too, I must admit. I look at, um, you know, there are, there's a guy from Sweden whose name escapes me for the minute, but he's making something like a million and a half dollars a year from Facebook. A million and a half bucks a year on Facebook. And there's a whole slew of kids that get on and uh, do a five-minute slot every day where they promote products and the uh, brands actually pay them for the exposure. And they're making 250 to $500,000 a year, which is pretty good money for five minutes' work a day. Well, Jacqueline, matter of fact, I just read today about a 23-year-old who makes $500,000 a year on Twitter. I read it in USA Today. He gets paid to tweet. Um, Chris Sanchez, a New Yorker who left college after one year, earns half a million dollars a year just for typing 144 characters, adding a link and clicking send. Now, you think if he had to finish college, he would have been able to start work at about 60 grand. So you don't go to college and you <laughs> start at half a million. Um, 23-year-old Chris, who tweets under the account at UberFacts, a Twitter account that tweets facts to 7.2 million followers. Last year, he made 500 grand for tweeting sponsored links, which when clicked by his followers, earn him between one and three cents a click. So three cents a click doesn't sound much, but multiply that by a few thousand sponsored clicks a day and hundreds of thousands of eager followers and 365 days in the year and you are absolutely rolling in money. The key is to have a demographic and this, an audience size that believe in you and keep coming back to you so that it's worthwhile for a brand to push out messages. And, you know, we all know the statistics that, um, you know, 90% of people trust friends and family. Well, you know, most of the people that follow this guy treat him like family they trust what he says where you know the number of people that actually believe in the corporations if the corporations are saying it is about 10 or 12 percent so one he's believable two he's got this huge following who loves what he says and it's worthwhile companies paying him one to three cents every time somebody clicks on he also has an uber facts app which reportedly brings in $60,000 a week in ad revenue. And he tweets 60 to 70 times a day. So 
he's pushing out a lot of tweets. So if he's got 7.2 million followers and he's pushing out 70 tweets a day, that's half a billion people are getting his tweets every day. Woo! Um, no wonder they pay him. Now, the way his program works is that a company called Social Reactor, and this is a company that's um, been around for a while, it, it pairs social media influencers with advertisers. Well, they supply him with galleries or other web pages that he just links into his tweets. And he gets paid for every click those pages receive. Then there are the branded deals he's done with companies like Ford and Paramount, where in a simple tweet, accompanied by a link and a hashtag, becomes a virtual slot machine, gushing out thousands to tens of thousands of dollars for young Chris. But Sanchez, like so many others when they join a social network, he never imagined he'd be making a living off something that others do for free. <coughs> Excuse me. Still got a cough from that flight back from Sao Paulo. Interestingly, he joined Twitter to follow Britney Spears, but he didn't have anything else to tweet about, so he figured tweeting facts about Britney would be a really good idea. It was. It turned out to be a $500,000 a year good idea. So, Jacqueline, since you already have a copy of um, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz, Blitz Your Competition, which was my latest book, and also Marketing Success Stories, which was Two books ago, I'm going to do something that I've never done before, and that is I'm going to send you a copy of each of my other books. So there's three books you don't have. I'm going to send you a copy of each of those so that you'll have a complete set of Bob Pritchard drivel. <laughs> no, they're good books. I hope you enjoy them. So don't forget, I want to hear from you. I want to know what you want me to talk about. I want to know who you want me to interview. I want you to go to my website, bobpritchard.com, sign up for my newsletter, email me, tweet me, and tell me what it is you want to talk about. Now, you can write to me and tell me that I suck. I don't care. Just get in touch. Let's get a dialogue going. My October newsletter is now going out to 16,000 people in about 60 countries, so don't miss out. Get onto my website today and get on the mailing list. Thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Radio Show for Entrepreneurs, and remember... If you're serious about being successful, this is the place to come every week at the same time. From beautiful Los Angeles in the United States, this is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life. <laughs>